Hello, everyone. I am uh, Claudio Murgan, the host of the Spiritual Inspire Show. And uh, my uh, guest today is uh, David um, Solomon. David works intensively, intensively with uh, Life Purpose Alignment, integrating the spiritual and material, and served many years as an executive and life coach, entrepreneur, and mentor in many traditional and spiritual fields. He believes in the fact that we are consciousness, learning how to master our current bodies and minds. The more aware we are of our capacity, strength, and skills, the, move we, the more we can master our experience. At Magical Golden Age, he teaches magic as a system of divine embodiment to provide a path of spiritual awakening to people interested in manifestation, psychic abilities, channeling, healing emotional and traumatic wounds, psychic protection, optimizing your body, mind, spirit, and intuition. By applying vibrational 5D energetic and practical methods honed in over 24 years of experience in spirituality and business, he can help align your passion and purpose, mentoring you in a strategic and effective way through the full spectrum of healing to skill building to scale. He launched his first company at 19. He loves studying leadership, strategy, sales, and marketing, and loves building exceptional teams. David, thank you very much for joining me again um, today. Yeah, brother, it's great to be here. Um, it's an honor to be of service. Thank you for that intro. Um, we had our first interview over a, a year ago, and many things have changed in, in our lives since, uh, since, uh, since then. So how did that affect you and your uh, business and your serving? You know, COVID, the COVID phenomenon um, was ultimately, I think, a good thing as in most healing schools, the ones I've been to and the ones I teach, we talk about the wound as the gift. Sure, at any one moment, it was restrictive, it was difficult, there were a lot of changes, but it really stripped bare a lot of the ways in life where I was spending time, even being of service, that, that weren't so core aligned with my mission and purpose. They were related and they were somewhat supported, but they weren't right, right smack in there. And having the opportunity to connect with so many more people because so many more people were accessible. Um, you know, I found it a little bit paradoxical in that sense. I love live events. I love teaching. I love going to live events. And because that was significantly restricted almost everywhere the you know, where, where the people I talked to are, more people were online. And so there, I saw more dialogue. I learned more about the people that I'm connected to, the people I serve, the people who reach out to me for mentoring, because people were spending more time on social media. And I think the aspects of our culture that are collective, we now have in our generation, a narrative of collective consciousness. The baby boomer generation had World War II. That was horrible. There were things, you know, a lot of bad things people can point at in all sides. And that, that was 70 years ago. In the Vietnam War, 20 years after that, that was a very charged phenomenon on, on all sides. And I'm not going to start, you know, saying polarizing statements. I mean, probably my, my position in some things like polarizing by its nature, but just in terms of what links the human race together, what links our civilization together. So now that we're coming out of the COVID era, I think there's, there's certain elements that we all learned to appreciate because we went without them, or at least we were restricted from them in those settings. And I also feel, I, I've always had very strong knowings that have come true about eras in terms of, you know, five, 10, 50 year chunks of, of humanity, mostly 50 or five year chunks and 36. So I would, I would have an idea of where things were going, like with IBM Watson being used by surgeons, like that AI would be in the operating room and then it happened, stuff like that. And given the massive amount of information control, obviously I have to be very mindful of what I say and how I say it given that topic, but given the massive amount of information control that was done unethically and improperly that came to light in all aspects of the COVID phenomenon, I think that's going to help our world become more transparent, um, especially at the highest levels of leadership. And I think that's absolutely essential. Um, I think the UBI elements that happened in a lot of countries showed us how easy it was for governments to print money. Um, 
and not being an economist and not going to go into interest rates and inflation and, and all that other stuff of that game because I personally uh, am on the timeline where I don't think our monetary system is going to last beyond um, you know this century, which I'm, I'm very grateful for. Hopefully it'll end sooner than later in a peaceful, abundant way. Um, I feel that the you know, the one of the first workshops I put up when the lockdown started was about astral projection. And I said, we can still travel, we can still meet with friends, just build the skill. And I gave about six workshops and, you know, they're, they're still available for people who hit me up one-on-one. -on -one. Um, and and they actually, I think they can be reached through my, my newsletter and through magicalgoldenage.com. I had to rework the website, but they're, they're out there. And for people who chose to use the extra time, not having to travel to work, not being able to travel to events, who use that extra time for self-betterment, I, I know I did to the best of my ability, um, skills like astral projection suddenly became more accessible. There's now more hours in the day. And so now that we're going back to normal from this forced sabbatical and normal way of living, I think the COVID era also helped show us who we were when we had more time and spaciousness and freedom on our hands without the external support of the wider world. So like, I know I'm, I'm better with fitness when I go to the gym, but I also know that when gyms were closed, I really like built up my, my Qigong game and my calisthenics and my yoga game. So I think for those of us who built up mystical skills, like astral projection, there was a lot of benefit. And I think for, for those of us who didn't or who had a big downward slide, it showed us the importance of self-mastery because, you know, if, if we need all these societal things to prop us up, um, you know, God is willing, there's not another plague or fake plague or wh whatever else, but who are we when we're alone? Who are we when we're restricted? Who are we when it might be dangerous to do some of the things we used to be doing? I think the answer to that is a hidden gem in this whole phenomenon that I don't think culture and mainstream media at large has had the spaciousness to think about. Right now it's all about the economy rebooting, which, which is great. Um, but I think once the dust settles and once people get back into some semblance of balance, they might realize there's a certain amount of personal growth they did, or there's a certain amount of sliding they did. And eat, both of those will, will tell people more about themselves in a, in, in a valuable way. Yeah, I mean, so many questions out of your um, opening statement. And yeah. uh, I want to go back to the, the consciousness, consciousness concept. Do you think that right now, I mean, do you really think that right now we are more aware of what we really are in terms of energy and, uh, and vibration and uh, oneness in order to, to go deeper and deeper and find out more of, of who you are based on the fact that we stayed home locked in our homes for almost a year and a half? That's, that's hard to say. Um, I have a channeled answer. And that channeled answer is, is interesting to me. I want to do the math on it really quick because the number is kind of small. Um, the matter sounds kind of small. So the number that I received with, with the clairsentience that I built over the years is about 2.5% uh, to your question in terms of depth. So can you just Google really quick what two and a half percent of seven billion is? Um, so one percent will be um, seven hundred million. Oh yeah, right. So three million, hundred and forty, about hundred and fifty, hundred and sixty million people. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Mm -hmm. I should have done that that shortcut. Yeah, it's like my thoughts were like, how many zeros do I plug in? Because I was I was more right brain with the channeling part. So you know, hundred and fifty million people waking up. Maybe that's because they trusted the system, got a vaccine and got paralyzed. Maybe that's because some of the people who were in charge of certain mandates, um, their e leaked emails show that they didn't believe in the things they were preaching. Maybe it's because somebody actually really did get sick or knew somebody who got sick and or died from COVID and realized, wow, for people who get this, this is worth them the flu. There, are, there is you know, validity to the mainstream and whether or not they had a hydroxychloroquine cure when it was illegal versus now when it's being, you know, more good things are being said out about it. Um, I think that, again, in the big picture, and as somebody who's like very much firmly knowing of the phenomenon, I mean, I'm not even going to say believing, knowing in a phenomenon of reincarnation and of planned life, you know, milestones, 
I, I still think it was a good thing. And I hope I'm never quoted out of context. Some of that might happen. But, you know, when we're faced with death, when we're faced with suffering, when we're faced with mortality, we look inward or we're knocked out of our body and we, we see a lot. And I think just having to deal with that level of darkness and death and shadow, those of us who made it, who, th those of us who dealt with it intensely and made it through it, um, you know, came up pretty far. I have a good friend whose dad has a COVID recovery clinic. So for people whose bodies were ravaged by the disease, they can recover very quickly. They're in Houston. If anybody's curious, they can hit me up in a DM and I can see if an intro makes sense, but all sorts of like hyperbaric oxygen tanks and all sorts of machinery that's been shown to help people regenerate their lungs and, and other stuff. Um, and I'm, I'm also grateful that you know, in the cycles of history that we see, you know, you look at different presidents, and you're like, oh, this president was responsible for this war, correlation, causation, you know, you could say that, oh, this president, president, there is this massive recession, either caused by or seeded by, you know, take, taking away the sides things. So the fact that, that there was this massive uprising of shadow, and this massive experience of darkness, and it wasn't humans out to kill humans or brainwash to maybe that is what happened behind the scenes maybe as some schools of thought go a small a small you know group of people decided for this to happen and engineered the whole thing and they're responsible for most of the pain and suffering but that if that's the case and there, there's you know decent narrative for that that could have also been the case for other wars mm -hmm. so the fact that we had all this bloodshed and all the suffering and you didn't have 100, 200, 300,000 people forced to kill other human beings, whether, you know, through a video game like drone or on the ground, I think was phenomenal in terms of the evolution of our culture. Does it suck that it happened, whether it was engineered or accidental? You know, you could say that. But again, let's take the civilization thousand year view, 10,000, 100,000 ascension year view. That's that's the view I take on most things. Um, so, you know, maybe a bit of a controversial answer. But that's, those are my thoughts. Uh, yes, again, and, and do you think, I mean, right, right now governments are looking into um, turning us into transhumans. That means embedding a chip into our head, we're doing something similar. So do you think that this morphing uh, human being into a transhuman can lead to that um, impact you just mentioned that humans killing other or transhumans killing other humans or doing something which will contravene to uh, the Arthur Clarke uh, robot laws, you know, not hurting another human yeah. being and, you know. Yeah, I'm, and I'm going to answer you from, you know, people who've listened to this so far and looked at my other stuff know I'm very spiritual, very optimist, very liberal, while at the same time, I spent time in Silicon Valley. I've spent time as an entrepreneur. I read a four book series about an AI apocalypse. I've read other books about AI. I've read a book that was many could call a horror story about called the transhumanist wager. Um, I've read about, you know, uploaded consciousnesses and enslavement through neural uploads and neural chips and Ender's game and all that stuff. So I'm very familiar with those, you know, fictional probable timelines. In, in the infinity of probabilities, and with equal light, there's equal darkness and vice versa. Just as people could become neural implant slaves, the vice versa is also true. You know, one of the light side thoughts about neural implants is if they're done well and properly, and I think the, the push for transparency is gonna be way stronger for those than for, you know, the phones we had five years ago. Um, and I, I think there is gonna be a line that is drawn in what's in people's bodies. And this is this is not something that I think like with privacy, for example, you know, you can usher in 18 pages of terms and conditions and a new generation just won't clear and will click accept. I think I think there's gonna be something very different with stuff that goes inside people's bodies. Um, you know, my thoughts go to autism and neurofeedback for the light side of the purely 3D tech. Uh, I think the dark side is obvious. We don't want our thoughts read. We don't want to be controlled. We don't want, um, like as in uh, the book, The Diamond Age, we don't want like a roach motel or Britney Spears's left nipple to be the bottom right corner of our vision because of a technical glitch with an advertisement. Britney, I love you, random thoughts. <laughs> um, 
right? So, but if you look at autism spectrum disorder, so I'm not claiming to speak from a level of authority with this, but I once got a brain scan from a place named Amman Clinics. They're fantastic. And they, I've heard they have a very good track record of helping people um, uh, with who are on the spectrum, who've had strokes, who've had closed head injuries, who've had major trauma. Um, for me, the, the reasons were trauma and near-death experiences, see what their brains are like and shift and retrain their brains to function more in, in the normal spectrum. So I'm not talking about savants, I'm talking about people who have, and I say the, the autism word just because it's, it's very well known. I'm not, you know, you could substitute in people who've had strokes, but this, this is something that affects people of all ages and especially younger people. And it seems like there's a lot of hope for people who are on the spectrum and have excellent care that includes neurofeedback to have their brain changed. Now, as somebody who's studied all these healing modalities and also provided healing sessions to a lot of people who reach out to me through my website and, and Facebook and elsewhere, um, there's a lot of different efficacy levels in the modalities of different healing techniques. So if somebody has trauma and they get 1950s Freudian therapy versus you know, EMDR, you know, it seems like EMDR might work better. I just heard of something called BWAT. And even just before that, I enrolled in a certification program called Peak States Therapy. Well, it was a precursor to a certification program. And more and more, we hear of these advancements in healing. I've seen things on brain chips for people with Parkinson's and seizures, seizures help them have that stuff less. And for the world that we're in, you know, staring at screens that affects the occiput, that affects the vagus nerve, that affects the amygdala, um, warmer climates in some areas, same deal, less nutrition in some foods, you know, people are not as nourished as they used to be. I think having some type of device in our body that can give us real-time data on things that are important and self-correct things when they're off, I think is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. I'm grateful to have a strong intuition, but not, not everybody, you know, everybody follows their own path. And um, just like, you know, if somebody's trying the a ketogenic diet and gets the ketone blood test strip, or they're diabetic or pre-diabetic or an athlete or any other thing and test their blood glucose levels or has a wearable and test their galvanic skin response or a headset device to check you know, their pulse rate, their breath rate, their, their neuroactivity level, like are they an alpha, beta, delta, theta, gamma, uh, which is ideal for cities, um, which I was very excited to learn because it was a theory I always had and I pushed back against one of my teachers. She's like, be in beta, delta, be all peaceful. I'm like, no, I'm super energized. I have all this energy and it turns out you know, gamma might actually be, well, they're, they're both ideal, but at least for a lot of us, gamma, gamma could work. But to go back to your question, it, it's really, I think the transhumanist stuff, the political stuff, I, I feel that what determines culture is more social media than anything else. Um, I used to say Hollywood, and I think Hollywood, you know, etc., is still a strong force. But one of my greatest teachers, Eric Rabkin, who taught science fiction and fantasy at, at UMish, talked about, you know, they who control language control the world. They control knowledge. And, you know, of course, the scary thing about, you know, the COVID era is the massive amount of information control. And there is censorship way before that, like Facebook groups called Police the Police got, you know, got taken away during one of the rounds of, you know, pushback from police shootings. So I think if there's enough free access to accurate information, we have nothing to worry about. I think if the censorship information control battle is lost in favor of larger centralized organizations, government, corporate, or otherwise, and the narrative of truth is tightly controlled and people who just believe what they see. Like I have, there's some people I know very well who just believe what they see on mainstream cable, even though, you know, how all that is controlled and the few number of groups it's controlled by is well known, they believe what they see on TV. Um, they don't do their own, much of their own research. And, you know, that's a bit frustrating for me. I also feel that I agree with Wayne Dyer and the response is there's a spiritual solution to every problem. And in this, the spiritual solution is, okay, there might be a risk in our world that publicly available information by and large 
is inaccurate and if followed could drive people to make poor and destructive life choices um, based on an ulterior dark agenda. I think while there's a lot of ways for people to access literature information technologically, I think the superior way to heal everything and the superior way to know everything is just get enlightened ASAP, get awake ASAP, get clear something, clairvoyant, clairaudient, clairsentient, clear something. And then no matter what's out there, you'll have access to whatever you need, right? It's if you want to take a dystopian timeline and say governments are going to force people to get neural implants and be transhumanist and everything that we say and do is going to be controlled and all the foods we eat are going to have nanobots that make everything worse, etc. You know, if you're woke AF and you can be breatharian and you can materialize objects and you can get access to any information in space and time and you can create other bodies and you can go to other worlds and you can ask beings from other worlds for help and you can disable harmful technologies and you can telepathically communicate with people and you can heal or regenerate your own body and purge things from inside of it if you want to. And you can even hop timelines where some unforeseeable thing happens, right? Like we have so much in our arsenal. When I was studying uh, paganism and when I you know, was a self-proclaimed witch between 12 and 15, I read, I think from Starhawk about um, you know, plans for a nuclear power plant that was just going to be very mismanaged, a lot of pollution, not efficient, old, unsafe technologies, a bunch of witches got together, did their high magic, and then apparently the plans for the nuclear plant were scrambled, and the amount of money it would have taken for architects to redesign it um, that made the cost-benefit calculations such that the financing was withdrawn and the plant was scrapped, and then the forest or wildlife refuge or you know, village that would have had to be bulldozed didn't have to be bulldozed. So I think stuff like that's really awesome. Um, does this mean we have to light a fire on ourselves and like get serious about our daily practice? If we individually as viewers, as practitioners want to be free and want to be Morpheuses and help other people be free? Yeah. I think it also means what timeline do we want to feed? And do we care now enough about politics to get involved? Right, Marianne Williamson, who I was able to see an incredible story of synchronicity um, live back in, I think 2016, said, if you're spiritual and you care about the world, it's time to get off your meditation cushion and get active in the world. Mm -hmm. And her exact words were get into politics. I think she was projecting a bit there. It was before she announced her run. Um, whether she was or wasn't, like we're all projections of you know the infinite fractaline you know, speck of oneness, right? I'm a projection of you, you're a projection of me. So I think for those of us who care, we should start investing the time. You know, if if we're thinking of moving, I thought of leaving my country because of stuff like this. And it's like, okay, let me be realistic with myself. How many hours would that take? You know, maybe 250 to do the research and to do the move. If I invested 250 hours into making an impact into my political system or inspiring others to, or doing the best I could to make as much money as possible to donate to the person who I thought would be most effective or the technology or the information platform to change the world, you know, to be of service. Could that have a greater impact? Would that be more important than just putting myself in, you know, Bogota or whatever? So I think, I think there's a lot we all need to think about, but I think, the, the thing that we, we really need to think about most is what types of actions are we going to take because of what we know about you know, the world. Yeah, very interesting um, point of view. We just said about uh, you know, acting in the community and <clears throat> making a, an impact uh, where, where you live. Uh, yes, indeed. And, and the, going back to the um, astral projection you just mentioned, um, how astral projection can help us you know, better our life. Um, do you have a, work a workshop on it, I, I think? Yeah, I have, I have a series of five. Um, gosh, well, astral projection, I feel at the higher levels is synonymous with lucid dreaming and high manifestation. Um, so raising the probability of the things we want to attract into our life, that's one. Um, two is viewing probable timelines based on certain actions we want to take. What's, what's an ideal path? Three is just awesome, deep, rich connections with people. Um, there's a person in my life 
who I connect with so deeply from the heart when we astral project and hang out. It's incredible. It's so rich and we're in different states. Um, I also think it's a sense of freedom, you know, being able to travel anywhere in space and time and reality. It's, it's exciting. It's awesome. It's, it's a great break. Um, it's a healthier break than just like drinking a beer or smoking a joint and watching an extra Netflix rerun, right? And the easy thing about AP, after projection, is I do it when I'm lying down. I do it above my covers. I keep a small light on in the room. I really snuff DMT that it doesn't matter. Um, I put a few sacred objects on different parts of my body that I just train myself to not fall asleep. But my body generally doesn't need sleep for the time of astral projecting and done really well. Um, AP is done when you're in, you know, theta sub delta. And so your body is sleeping. And, you know, just like one of the bits of truth in Dr. Strange and WandaVision is you, as your awareness grows, you have the ability to parallel process more legitimately. And so your spirit can do things while your mind and body are doing other things. Is it ideal if all three are unified? Yeah, sure. So your body can do the mechanical work of sleeping. Your mind can be thinking, where's the best place to travel to? What's the best thing to do? And your spirit can be taking the reins and doing what's needed to be done. Um, I've, I've gotten so much done in the astral realm to the point that I, I've shifted to the primary healing work I do for people is astrally. Um, I used to do a lot of 3D conversation for healing. I, I still offer it. I used to do a lot of energy work for people. I still offer it. But I've been receiving people that I've been working on astrally and quantumly and holographically while in deep meditation. And then I take a few minutes and take a report of what I did. And they're like, yeah, I, I felt those effects. That was significant. So I think it's an efficient way of achieving the goals we want to achieve and also just making life more fun and joyful. Like, you know, even with all the restrictions lifted, um, a lot of us still have catch up to do because of the COVID era. And so being able to do anything in existence, it sounds fun. Like I had a, men uh, a former mentor who mastered time dilated astral projection and told me that with a buddy, they uh, practiced for three hours once and that three hours experienced life in the 1980s as like rich playboys with Ferraris um, for three months. That, that sounds freaking awesome. Who wouldn't want to take a three-month vacation, right? So that's definitely a time ROI for investing and building in that skill. So th there's a lot that it can do. And yeah. you know, talking with Ascended Masters, visiting other worlds, telling, you know, telling good beings from other worlds like, you know, Arcturus, Alpha Centauri, Pleiades that we're ready for them to visit and teach us stuff and help us heal and hang out and you know, provide a, a lighter way of living and a more expanded way of living. I think we're ready for that. And I think the disclosure doors have been open with the UFO declassification stuff. So I, I love astral projection. It's one of my top things. Yeah, and, and you just uh, uh, led me into the next question. If you can share what type of, um, or which ones of the ascended masters did you encounter? You know, I'm answering that differently than I would before because my understanding of them has deepened. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there is some, there's some bits, there's actually a lot uh, from Zachary Sitchin and others that say beings like uh, Vishnu was Anunnaki and beings like Thoth was the son of Enki, who's an Anunnaki. Um, that's interesting stuff. There's others who say Vishnu is Syrian. Um, and when you look at beings who have a very high level of awareness who are ascended and who are ascended masters, who are like, did they train that way? Like, were they incarnated that way? Where did they come from? Like, there are these divine myths of a being coming from the sea or tearing himself in half and another being coming from them or being born from a lotus flower. Um, I think when Vishnu created Krishna, I, I, pardon me if I'm wrong, he plucked two hairs from his scalp. It's like, oh, cool. So he cloned himself and made another body, an avatar body, like the movie of Avatar, Blue Bodies. Oh, okay, cool. It was, you know, just a, a, another body materialized of the same consciousness. Um, so I've worked a lot with Thoth and Krishna. I've worked with goddess Lakshmi. Um, I, I place her a bit higher for, for reasons that we can get into. Um, I've worked with uh, Jesus. I've worked with Merlin. I've worked with Apollo, who I, I also feel is a bit more on the higher divine spectrum than ascended master spectrum. Um, I've worked with quite a few. Interesting. Um, when we, uh, sorry, because you mentioned about going deeper into your astral projections. 
are you also training to physically move into a different dimension or just your mind or spirit will, will travel? You know, I have not been focusing on the physical mm-hmm. thing yet. I haven't been focusing essentially on the skills teleportation or creating a second body. Um, I had a fantastic dream last night, which told me to work on flight. Um, and that's a powerful city, which can take quite a bit of time. Um, but there's a lot of stories of people flying and levitating and Tibetan monks and Catholic saints and a lot of other folks. I think that'd be really fun. Um, as useful as teleporting might be, I think it would be harder for most people to uh, achieve a certain amount of ego disillusion to allow one body to disappear. And there's also a certain amount of terror that the heart and limbic system can feel in completely new and different surroundings. Um, and while I'd love to have you know a bunch of people who could teleport and put FedEx out of business, because that'd be so easy if you could just apparate from one place to another, like, here's your package, here's your package, right? Uh, yeah, after, after we did the high level mystical mission stuff. Um, I, I think it's easier to hop on an Alpha Centurion ship and visit another place interstellarly or go into a jump room. And I'm saying this stuff because it's on Gaia.com and Gaia is still up. So to me, that's that's permissioning from the powers that be that it's okay to say this stuff. Um, but I think flight would be great. I mean, it would if it were widespread, it would solve ecological issues. Um, it would solve fossil fuel money issues. It'd be really free, fun and delightful. The city of flight is said to be unlocked through the heart mantra yam, uh, surrendering to divine will or Ishvara in the Hindu tradition. That's surrendering to you know higher self and the greatest sources of mentoring energy we can receive. Um, it's definitely a high level initiation skill. We don't just wanna to surrender to whatever inner head voice we hear, but it's worth doing with the guidance of a master and you know somebody who can be like, yeah, you're listening to intu- your intuition, you're mentally healthy and sound, you're doing the right thing. Um, so as far as high level mystical abilities, I would prioritize that. I think materialization is a close second, but I think there are some barriers uh, to wide permissioning of materialization that uh, might make it a bit more out of reach for some people. Yeah, and, and you just mentioned that in order to do all this, <clears throat> I mean, in order to achieve certain levels of, of consciousness and um, be able to uh, do um, astral projections at a higher level, we have to, to cleanse uh, our body. We have to have a different um, uh, detachment from who we are. And, um, you know, PTSD is pretty much a pandemic and affects everyone uh, all over the world. And, you know, the childhood trauma morphs into consequences of uh, adult life. So how can you help people with their PTSD? Well, speaking from a spiritual perspective and just a life perspective, not speaking as a licensed therapist, not giving medical advice. Yes. um, I feel a few things about PTSD. I could probably talk about it for hours and hours. So what flows may or may not be in order of priority, but it's just what's feeling right to flow. So PTSD is a learned phenomenon. PTSD is from an internal clenching. I'm I'm doing a bit of clairsentient channeling right now. I'm shifting out of the mind a bit because this is a... I want to share deep stuff without evoking triggers. Um, And my ego has a lot of attachment to doing it properly. So um, give me just a second to shift. PTSD is not the problem in our culture. The problem in our culture is holding on to elements of the past that does not serve us. PTSD is a phenomenon of a scarcity mindset as in sync with the red background. It is a dissonance with the root chakra. When we have the will to release and surrender and open, we will no longer hold on to what does no longer serve us. The stored cortisol that is the embodied biopsychological trauma that is the structure of PTSD forms a function of holding back ego development so that the inner child can not be destroyed. As the inner adult allows for a surrendering of the ego for the higher embodied soul, spirit, oversoul, mind, body, spirit, consciousness to come in, the inner child can realize it is part of the all and does not have to go anywhere and will always have a place to stay. Therefore, the protectors that we have held to prevent us from evolving and dying in a sense 
related to ego death, um, PTSD will no longer serve the functions that it used to serve. Whatever way people are drawn to discover and release their PTSD, if they're committed to releasing it, it should be released. However, there is a massive caution against crusading against one's own inner trauma because there is a self-fulfilling prophecy of whack-a-mole, of becoming the hammer, and then there's always a nail to find. David slash me found trauma after trauma or trauma, and then just heard from a teacher who he has mixed feelings about that we have thousands of traumas. That idea as a cultural transmission is abhorrent. Manifesting things and calling them trauma and saying personality is compensated, it's not blessed, there will be suffering until that trauma is cleared, there will be perceptual distortions until that trauma is cleared, is a cultural curse that absolutely must be rescinded. However, the light side of this curse, the light side of this interpretation, the light side of legitimizing and validating trauma, especially for people to whom the concept is new, is permissioning the excuse to be human. If somebody has a phenomenon in their being of snapping in anger or getting triggered at certain topics or having sexual dysfunction or financial difficulties or body image identity confusion or many of the other blocks that people experience, being able to name that as a trauma, being able to identify a cause, being able to release and clear that cause through tapping through EMDR, through a million different types of modalities will liberate people and give them freedom over their personality. And rather than the 21st century, which was diagnose and drug, the liberate and heal theme of this era will shine as the PTSD phenomenon is understood, accepted, integrated, and then finally released. So as long as the releasing part is held as a must, eventually, I think embracing the crusade against PTSD should be taken on as liberally as the crusade against uh, HIV. And regardless of the causes and realities and truths of HIV, um, you could even say the crusade against polio, although there's a lot of political stuff related to that. Um, if we as a culture invest a lot of collective time looking into a phenomenon, we're going to understand it all over the place. And the value of PTSD as something that is becoming bigger and bigger in the spotlight, along with the topics of triggers and traumas, is that it gets at the concept that identity is editable. And not just identity, because you can paint your nails and change your identity to a small point, but a core part of our behavioral patterning is editable. And the higher, for some, concepts of forgiveness are attainable when we find the types of traumatic release techniques that don't require the participation of the other beings who were present when the trauma originated. So if Billy receives sexual abuse from Marianne and Billy wants to release that PTSD and be in the same room with Marianne and not flip out, Billy can find a great practitioner, a great method, a great journey, a great something, release all his stuff, and then at least on a spiritual level, be able to forgive Marianne and vice versa. So the only problem with PTSD is when it's combined with a victim mentality and a negative homeostasis pattern as David experienced, so he knows it quite well, where there's validation in the sense of self through suffering and victimhood and then the dopamine rush of healing a thing. And then the search continues to heal and heal and heal. And it, there's a suffering addiction. So I would almost offer, we would almost offer that the number of traumas to clear, PTSD things to clear in a lifetime should be 111 as a maximum. Because if somebody can 
be free from suffering, still experience the sensations of pain, be free from suffering, there's no trauma. If somebody has physical mastery, there's no deep internal muscle or organ clenching and stuck cortisol, right? So time invested in mastery of self and transcendence of spirit and consciousness is absolutely essential as long as it's not performed primarily for the purpose of spiritual bypassing. Thank you. Very, very interesting. And um, I will um, suggest the viewers to, to go back to this segment of the interview and, and listen to it over and over again, because it's, it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's quite dense. So thank you. Sure. <clears throat> what, do, you know, do you have the timestamp for that offhand? That was, uh, that was solid. I think about 45 minutes in. Okay. <laughs> well, it's, we're, we're at 46 and a half of recording now, but yeah. Okay, so we'll, we'll, we'll see it when we watch. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, have you visited uh, the ancient sites of uh, in Egypt? And if yes, how did it feel for you? So in this body, no. Um, I do plan to lead retreats of people to power spots around the world. And Egypt's one of them. Um, <laughs> I also haven't gone astrally, funny enough. I've studied it quite a bit. Um, yeah, short answer. <laughs> oh, okay. I mean, I could I could talk a lot about Egypt and the pyramids, but I have been much more drawn to Atlantis, excuse me, Alpha Centauri, um, the Moon, uh, the grids, the astral and five D grids, um, and then relationships with certain beings. Um, to me, those have been more valuable than Egypt, just as far as my path. Mm -hmm. Last time when we had the interview, you mentioned about uh, you working on uh, three specific temples. How that uh, work is going on? You know, it's funny. Huh. It's funny because there's somebody, when I was connecting with Lakshmi in a really high vibration, right when I finished one day, somebody called me who I hadn't talked to in months. He's like, hey, David, um, I want to build a temple of Lakshmi and raise funding. And I have a high priestess who wants to help. And she's super, super legit. And he told me her story. I'm like, wow, she's super, super legit. Um, and he's like, do you want to, you know, architect and preside over it? I'm like, sure. <laughs> and there have been a few other milestones along that. For the moment, though, um, I, I feel that there's a certain path of development, both for me and for the world. Um, and COVID did put a big pause on things. So what I'm looking to do next is strengthen and build a sense of community. So I have a, a spiritual abundance group that meets for free bi-weekly. Um, and people can hit me up on Instagram at Sorcerer David or through magicalgoldenage.com or my Facebook or through other methods um, to, to get into that. And I'm also doing uh, magical masterminds. I'm also doing magical town halls. I also do one-on-one -on -one work. I'm gonna to start to teach in Beijing. So one of the things that I'm looking to do is build a network of solid, trust, trustworthy people who share a mission of liberating wealth in the world, liberating spirituality in the world. Um, there's a couple projects which I have related to that um, for some of the other work that I do. And there's gonna be a right time when the Temple of Lakshmi is the first temple is founded. Um, and that's gonna be, be given by spirit because that's gonna be a $15 billion project. So that's not something that I'm actively you know, building businesses to fund because I'm, I'm not in the right industry to, for that, um, at least in, in this timeline at this present point in time. Um, but well, that'll be known when it's known and that'll be excited. And for anybody who's not familiar in my book, Magic is Real, in the last chapter, uh, The Future of Magic, I talk about three massive areas of global change related to um, magical science, money and abundance and sexuality and love and romance. Um, related to temples of Thoth, Lakshmi, and Aphrodite. So that's what is being referred to. Yeah. So do you see uh, the temple of Lakshmi built anywhere else but, but India? I, it'll be in LA. Oh, interesting. India has a lot of Hindu temples. And this won't be a Hindu temple per se. I mean, the, the presence of Lakshmi will be there for all who recognize her as the being that I, I believe her to be as, a, as the goddess of wealth. Um, we're in an era of cosmopolitan belief systems. And I don't personally feel that somebody should feel excluded um, from something beneficial to all of humanity based on their belief systems. So it, it might, it'll be very tricky how to do that with a temple named after a goddess if somebody 
wants to come in and say doesn't doesn't believe that. But there'll be a lot of outreach. There'll be a lot of education. There'll be a lot of support. There'll be a lot of free classes on money management, mm. off the grid living, um, stuff of value. Where you know, to some people it'll just be a name, and to others the name will be everything. Yeah, interesting. Um, we mentioned magic several times, and uh, you know, people sometimes are scared or worry about the the term magic. Um, how can we translate that in a layman term, and in order to to manifest? Um, to better manifest in their lives. Well, magic is the art and science of applied consciousness to create change in our world. Um, it works through to be ultra succinct, the quantum observer effect, raising the probability of things likely to occur in our life experience. There's a lot of methods for magic. There's a lot of models for magic. And I personally feel that magic is our birthright as a way to demonstrate our level of embodied awakening at any point in time. The other day I was doing a manifestation for a, a certain type of super aligned romantic partner. And when I finished and came out of that meditation, I the, a fuse was blown in the house. I, I blew a fuse, so much energy was running through me. Now, when I've done high magic or telepathy or synchronicities before, a light would turn off, Spotify would pause, you know, no interaction, no outside reason. This is the first time I blew a fuse in the house. So I thought, I've, I've always thought like, if we have rogue AI, will we be people to be able to be like Neo and just like zap it with electronic telekinesis and, you know, the, the AI, you know, killer bot goes down. Yeah, probably, <laughs> almost definitely. Um, magic is exciting. Magic is fun. Magic is neutral. There's a million different systems of magic. There are people who say magic is related to dark forces. That is a belief system. And for those who dig deep enough, um, and look into a book, the political origins of the book, the Malleus Maleficarium, uh, created in the Inquisitional times, we'll see that a lot of those darker terms against witches and wizards, whose literal Latin etymolo etymological root comes from WIC, or the prefix for wise, that a lot of the gobbledygook against, you know, darkness and evil and witches, witches and wizards and magic, a lot of that was BS related to, you know, politically centralized power and control. I feel that there is a danger in magic, just like there is a danger in running and weightlifting and swimming. Um, when you are running, you run the risk of falling and injuring yourself. And if you want to run fast up a mountain without a warm up, without gear, without checking the weather, um, you know, you could have a conquering experience or you could severely injure yourself. So with magic, you are working on editing reality. Maybe first the internal alchemy of your body, maybe secondly, the outward alchemy of the world. So should you take that seriously? Yeah, more seriously than a handgun? Heck yeah. Most people you know, wouldn't fire a handgun in their lives. And yeah, it is absolutely a priority if somebody's pointing a handgun at you to take that more seriously than magic, unless you have proof that you can dematerialize handguns in an instant. That would be you know, <laughs> stupid, like sure, is it? possible that you could dematerialize a handgun in the blink of an eye yeah but until you've done it like be smart in the 3d world that we chose to incarnate into <laughs> um so yeah I, I think you know there's all sorts of warnings that people used to give but i think the human race has evolved i, I know we have evolved to a certain level where the mystery is being taken out of mystery schools um i bought a book when i was 14 that helped me learn how to, to teach a karmic how to perform a karmic rebound spell on a bully. And I sent his energies back to him um, if the divine and the higher self permitted it for the spell to be successful. And I had no intent to cause harm, no intent to cause pain. I just wanted to not be bullied. And I wanted a woman, uh, a, a, she was 12, so young woman uh, named Daphne to not be bullied. Um, and I wanted this person to feel empathically, almost like in uh, the Aragon series, empathically what he was doing so he'd be motivated to stop. I had no form, idea what the form it would take. So I did a ritual, it was in winter break. We went back to school. He was late for class, which is rare. He hobbled in on crutches, three limbs were in casts. It's like, what the fuck did I do? And I, I did a lot to bind my free will from using magic to hurt people, even mm -hmm. though I know I didn't use it to hurt him. And that, you know, it was a karmic rebound. Um, and when, when people are learning the art of sword, they use a, a fake sword. 
even when swordsmen practice, many of them use a blunt edged weapon or put a cork on the foil, right? When you're dealing with reality, what levels of protection do you want? What types of teaching do you get? Do you abstain from it? You know, I don't, I didn't abstain from exercise when I had chronic pain and muscle dysfunction. I just exercised very carefully and there are certain things I did do and certain things I didn't. So magic is a very, very big umbrella, magic with a K. And learning enough about which roads to walk on, what those roads are like, um, where they lead, where they could lead, who has traversed them before, I, I think is really, really important. Yes, David, it's always a pleasure to uh, <clears throat> talking to you. Uh, we are approaching the end of the, the interview. Any final thoughts? Gosh, brother, uh, it's been delicious and delightful. Um, I'd love to be on here again anytime you'd love to have me. Um, I think final thoughts is, um, you know, for everyone, for you watching, be your divine self. This is a manifestation of you telling you that, unless you believe that statement is false, then I mean, it's false. But speaking directly to you psychically in this moment of now, be your divine self. You know what that is. You know how that is. At the deepest level, you know who you are and you know how you serve. Permission that. Breathe through the fear. Get the support that is aligned for you to get. And be the truest, highest version of you that you can. You know the role that you have decided to play in the golden age that is being brought about. And there's nothing to fear about an appointment you scheduled for yourself before this lifetime started. Thank you very much. Amazing uh, <clears throat> advice and uh, wish you all the best in, uh, with your new phase of, of life in, in Austin. Um, and um, to my viewers, thank you for watching uh, the, the interview. Share it, like it. Um, support me on uh, patreon.com slash Claudio Morgan. Get a free copy of my book when you visit my uh, website. And until next time, love and gratitude.